Welcome, friends, to Historical AF. I'm Keena. And I'm Zoe. We are a historian and a special guest delivering you the random and weird historical book nugs you never knew you needed in your ear holes. So I mention a lot, a lot, a lot that I'm obsessed with TikTok. It's got me through quarantine. I'm not sorry about it. But I'm obsessed with you, Zoe, and I <laughs> essentially just took your comments, and I was like, you're really funny when you come on my podcast. And she said yes! I acted cool, but on the inside, I was dying. I texted, like, four different people. I was like, you guys, I've made it. <laughs> I'm so excited. It could have gone either way. It could have been like, who is this weirdo? Does she even have a podcast? What is happening? So I really mean, then I Google you, absolutely. <laughs> yes, I adore your TikTok. It's like you guys already know I'm a nerd, but it's like fandom and but it's like really in-depth like history and just it's amazing. So tell everybody about your TikTok before I ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So um again I'm Zoe and I started a TikTok in July of this year because quarantine was depressing me and I needed um an outlet of joy again. Yeah. And the only thing that makes me happy is Harry Potter to run through. <laughs> So I started off, it took me a while to find my niche, I would say, but I'm a little older than most people on TikTok. I'm, I'll be 29 tomorrow. And most of the kids on TikTok are either like actual children, which I'm like, no, check their bio before it follows them. <laughs> or then they're just kind of like 18 to 24, 25, I would say. Yeah, I one day started posting kind of like things I missed, like Wizard Rock, that came up a bunch, which we can discuss later, because that was a shit show too. (laughs) And then I guess like three weeks ago, I got, oh, I found this chart. Uh, A friend of mine sent me this chart of like fan fiction pairings on Archive of Our Own. And I was like, why is there so much incest? These are the questions that need to be asked. Right. So, like, I felt compelled to make a video about it. And in the video, I happened to mention Cassandra Clare, because who's the author of the Mortal Instruments series, which turned into the Shadow Hunters TV show on ABC or Freeform, whatever. But I got a comment on that video that was like, What do you mean, Cassandra Clare? What does she have to do with Harry Potter? And I was like, Oh my God, the youths don't know. Gather around, children. Let me Pretty tell much. you the story. I was like, come around my fire. <laughs> Let me show you a tale of a time past. And I, <laughs> I posted this video talking about like Cassandra Clare, like rise in the Harry Potter fandom and how it led to the creation of the Mortal Instruments. And I, yeah, like I thought it was gonna get. If it's a good video, I get like maybe six thousand views. Mm-hmm. Next thing I know, this thing has like five hundred thousand views. <laughs> and these kids are like, "Oh my god, I never knew!" And I'm like, "Holy shit!" Like I didn't realize people really didn't know about this stuff. And then I realized I was fucking old. So oh, no, you're doing the Lord's work. That's yeah. what you're doing. It was cool because I got a lot of a bunch of like I guess old heads like me who are like, I was going, like they were there when it was going down, and I mm-hmm. wasn't quite. I was too young for that aspect of it. Like, I was there when it was going down towards the end. But the beginnings was a fucking shit show. It was like Game of Thrones with hopefully not as much incest, I would say, actually. (laughs) Yeah, that checks out. (laughs) It was just kind of a mess. Um, But yeah, so now my TikTok has kind of turned into, like, fandom history. Um, 
fan fiction memes because that's just who I am at the core. And uh, yeah, me, I'm putting out a, um, a series of about Harry Potter looked at through a post-colonial lens. Wow, so that is so fancy. Thank you. That one's not going to go well, I know already, because no one wants to listen to me talk about that shit, but I'm just like, I well, do. great, I can't do. wait. I filmed a bunch today, and I'm like, is it funny? No, but do I care? Yeah, yeah that's, that's all I care it, about. It brings you joy. Like, Jenna Marbles, I love her. I wish she would come back to the internet. But her thing is like, I'm just going to make a video because it makes me laugh. And if somebody else likes it, okay. But it just made me laugh. So that's why I want to do it. So I think right. those are the best. If you genuinely enjoy something, other people are going to enjoy it too. Hopefully. I mean, let's be real. I'm not going to quit my day job. And <laughs> <laughs> that would be a dream, right? Though That is the dream. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day. I need like six more viral videos. You never know. <laughs> That's what everybody says. It's just like, I went to sleep, had a video. I didn't think anything of it. The next day, what the hell happened? I'm Pretty just- much. And it's kind of, I'm kind of annoyed because it blew my cover. Because like none of my friends in real life knew about my TikTok. <laughs> now they do. <laughs> they were like, you didn't tell us. I'm like, yeah, it's my secret shame. Leave me alone. <laughs> Listen, when I posted that video, I think I had maybe 700 followers. And most of them came from the Harry Potter incest chart. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think I gained like 500 on that video. And now I have, I think I just hit like 7,300 people. And I'm just like, are you guys okay? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Because if they do and you win, you should thank the Harry Potter incest chart. I know. I feel like I should send Cassandra Claire some flowers. Like, bitch, I hate you. You're the worst. But thank you so much. <laughs> yes. Oh, that'd be amazing. Oh, yeah, I was God. a teen librarian for a long time, so I could not escape Cassandra Claire. But I mean, listen, I get it. Everyone has their things. And I'm not here to, like, yuck anyone's yum, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, how do you manage to put two incest storylines in one series? Yeah. What's going on there, Cass? Let's, it let's chat. It seems to be something that's on your mind enough that you didn't accidentally do it once. But <laughs> did it twice. Right. <laughs> like, it was on purpose. <laughs> I can't. Whatever. <laughs> you also have a really interesting background. We were talking earlier. You're from Italy. Tell everybody about your awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my mom was in a contemporary dance company in her early 20s. And they went on tour and she met my dad at a party and they fell in love and she quit her job and stayed in Italy with him for 25 years. That is like a movie. I know. It's very annoying. They're still together. (laughs) They're super cute. Yeah, they're cute. Like my mom learned Italian for him and all this stuff. My dad speaks very little English to this day, which I think is hilarious. But yeah, we moved to the States in 2007. So I was 15. We moved over here. So I finished up high school here and I went to college and everything here. But I grew up in the old country. That is so cool. That's such a good experience. I think everybody should have to go out of country for a while. Just Yeah. I'm very fortunate for sure. Because it's like you get a lot of life experiences just by, you know, like witnessing other cultures and arts are so much more accessible in Europe. Which is really upsetting they're not over here. But I was very lucky that I was exposed to that at a young age. And my mom's still like she's saying at the po- at the papal residence one summer like she's a big deal yeah it's it's really frustrating she's very hard to impress <laughs> <laughs> maybe this will do it though you know <laughs> and what's your degree in i have a bachelor's degree in english literature 
and I think I have a master's by association because my wife needed a lot of help doing her master's degree and I did all her papers so <laughs> I <laughs> assisted with I'm not claiming yeah. that they're mine but <laughs> I love literature I I'm such a nerd like I was going for history and art history and then I panicked last minute being like I'll never get a job so I added psychology and I wanted to do literature too but I couldn't fit it in because it was just too much reading and I was like I don't yeah. have time you yeah. slept. It's very interesting. We were talking before we started recording, but it's it's like history and art. You can see parts of cultures and society through literature that you just don't see in history books because, you know, there's specific people that are writing the history books in those times. So you can definitely get a glimpse into the world through books and art that you just can't get anywhere else. You know that saying, life imitates li- art, imitates life kind of thing. <laughs> like it's a, con- a concentric yeah. circle in a sense symbiosis so you're the literal perfect person to be on this episode i'm so excited or i'm gonna have to do this theme like a thousand times because there's just so many <laughs> i could narrow it down and i had an idea what i was gonna do for weird and then shout out to ashley and dion from patreon they were like hey have you heard this and i was like well shit so then i changed everything i scrapped it and i rewrote it today so <laughs> do we want to just jump into it yeah absolutely once again, mine's a little dark, so I'm going to go first, and then she's going to bring us joy with the Harry Potter fandom at the end, so that I don't ruin everything. <laughs> uh, so I'm doing weird AF this week, and I'm going to talk about Mary Shelley. I'm ready. I know what you're going to do. <laughs> My prediction, it involves a grave. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> there's a lot of weird stuff. We'll get there. No spoilers. <laughs> so, in case you don't know, Mary Shelley was an English writer famous for writing the horror classic Frankenstein in 1818. Frankenstein is one of the most famous novels ever written, and most people are familiar with the overall gist of the story. You got your scientist creates monster, monster runs amok. And if you say Frankenstein is the monster at pub trivia, you will get yelled at by a lot of nerds. So don't do that. Facts. So much of her fame is derived from this classic, which is, by the way, the first known work of science fiction. So it's a pretty big deal. But she left a huge bar- barty. See, I told you I can't word. <laughs> a large body of work that spans genres and influences. So she was a top of her game in a lot of different genres. She was also a published critic, essayist, travel writer, literary historian, and editor of the work of her husband. And he was the poet Percy Shelley. We're going we're gonna to talk a lot about him. So Shelley was born Mary Wollenstonecraft Godwin on August 30th, 1797 in London, England. Both of her parents were prominent members of the Enlightenment movement and had a very reputable status. AKA they were very bougie. I wish I was bougie. Same. I tried to be, <laughs> but like on a budget, you know. <laughs> you got a target budget. Like, yeah. Target it's bougie. not a target. You're fine. <laughs> I ordered Target today to deliver because I was like, I don't want to go see people, but I also <laughs> want Target. I'm doing well in quarantine. I love it. <laughs> so Mary Wollstonecraft, her mother, is well known for writing A, a Vindication of the Rights of Women in 1792. It was a pivotal feminist text that frames women's inferiority, and I'm putting that in air quotes, because <laughs> that shit, as the direct consequence of a lack of education. So it was a super hot take for the time. 
William Godwin, her father, was a political writer, equally famed for his anarchist inquiry concerning political justice in 1793 and his novel, Caleb Williams, in 1794, which just happens to be the first fiction thriller. Nice. This family is ridiculously talented. But to be fair, I feel like they all died in their 30s, so they had to try harder, you know? But sadly for Shelley, she never knew her mother. She passed away only 11 days after giving birth to Mary. So sad. That's also terrifying. Women were just dropping like flies. And I'm telling you, we never have like the good of this thick. It's always you die in childbirth or you yeah. get married off to some old man at age 14. Yeah. <sighs> Creepy. Or you have to marry your first cousin like we just oh. talked about. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Hashtag shame historical figures for child brides. Okay. Oh, God. So her father, William Godwin, was left to care for Shelley and her older half-sister, Fanny, who was just three years old at the time. So as a man in the 1700s being like, well, shit, I have two kids now. He was not Ew. very happy. So the other daughter was from an affair that Woolen Stonecraft had with a dude named Gilbert. Wait, What? <laughs> Gilbert, and he was a soldier, a businessman, an author, and a diplomat. I just feel like all these people had 20 jobs, and maybe it's you just got to do as much as you can because you're going to die tomorrow. Like, I don't know, but they all have like 20 things under their name. Hold on. Did you say the father had an affair with the soldier? Oh, no. The <laughs> mother, the mother, the mother, the Yeah. I was like, she, oh my God, a gay affair? Oh, yes. Way more juicy, but no. Okay, I guess I found it it. interesting that he still took care of her child. Yeah, absolutely. That just didn't seem like a thing that really he could have tossed her to the side, found some other child bride, you know. Yeah, already a little scandal in the family. So, Daddy Godwin didn't remain a widower for very long. When Mary was just four, he remarried his neighbor, Miss Mary Jane Claremont, which just sounds like the most southern name ever. And she brought along two of her children, Charles and Jane, into the family. They would later have a son together, too. Okay. We don't care about them. It sounds very Cinderella-ish. <laughs> it does! And we're going to get to that. So <laughs> never got along with her stepmother. And a lot of sources speculate it's because she resembled her mother and she was so close to her father. Miss Claremont essentially banished her stepdaughter to Scotland in the summer of 1812, supposedly for her health. It should be noted that she had no problem sending her own daughter off to a fancy school to get a formal education. But her stepdaughter, she's like, nah, you can just go stay with our family friends. I don't want you here. <laughs> the evil stepmother trope Ooh, is really there it is. <laughs> yeah. And in her defense, there's two sides to everything. And it depends on who wrote the history. So there are some sides to say that Mary was just so stubborn and she was so spirited and she was just uncontrollable and wasn't a lady and lady claremont just couldn't handle her and that could be just written by her but then there was also people that think mary wrote this whole horrible childhood to do with a like cinderella trope that my evil stepmother treated me terribly and they kind of play on that so there's really no way to know they probably both exaggerated yeah to make themselves look better but we don't you know. know you know how to say the truth is like somewhere in between the two stories so. yeah but, I mean, if you're a famous author and you're working on your biography, might as well throw in the evil stepmother. Yeah, fuck okay, it. Come on. <laughs> Seriously, why not? Like, you do you. Mm-hmm. No judgment here. 
So Mary spent the better part of two years in Scotland. Though it was supposed to be a form of exile, she actually thrived there. Later, she wrote that it was there in her leisure. She was able to indulge in her imagination, her creativity, and all of it was born within the countryside. First of all, I want to have my creativity born in leisure. It feels in a countryside. Like, I feel bad that her mom died, but part of me is like, you're living a life. Like, I'm going to run around, then work on books. Then. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she was super pissed, being like, you're throwing me away. And then she gets here, she's like, all right, all right, this is actually kind of right. Happen. Like, you'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be good. Well, this is great. <laughs> and as was custom during the early 19th century, Mary, as a girl, did not receive a rigorous or structured education, even though her stepsister did get to go to school she only spent six months at miss petman's ladies school in ramsgate in 1811 Ooh. but our girl did have an advanced education even though it was considered unofficial because of her father she had lessons at home with him he had a huge ass library and she read literally everything and then also she got to partake in intellectual debates of some really important figures who came by to talk to her father so we're talking about sir humphrey davy a chemist um, the Quaker reformer Robert Owen and poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge and William Wordsworth. So she got to meet some of the most brilliant minds of the time and then like debate with them. Can you imagine? I can't. <laughs> like I literally can't imagine. But she was able to keep up with them and keep them on their toes. So we'll get to it later. But there's people being like, there's no way she could have wrote this. But if you think about all the pieces of her life, she was yeah debating with these men and. She probably was, was also like privy to a lot of conversations that other women yeah. would have never been part of. So exactly. Cause we'd be like, how would a lady know about this science? <laughs> well, she was hanging out with scientists. <laughs> right. Like go get her a break. Come on. Yeah. Oh, history. In spite of being denied fancy schooling, she was highly intelligent. She even studied history. Yes. She studied literature and the Bible. She also learned Latin, French, Italian. <laughs> why did i say it that way italian and greek <laughs> that's it's very impressive two of them you don't need ever but you know. right <laughs> oh, dead language super helpful but i can barely master one language i just can't imagine that many especially at her age she's still a kid yeah that's crazy bonkers to me so on a home visit to England in November of 1812, Mary met the poet Percy Shelley for the first time. Godwin and Shelley had an intellectual but transactional relationship. So Godwin was really poor. You know, his wife died. He was making bad investments and he was taking care of all these kids. Ooh. And then Shelley had a rich dad because he was the son of a baronet. So he was giving him money for these intellectual conversations. But like a psychologist, but yeah. Like, wait, no, I almost feel like Shelly was like, um, like an escort for like conversations only. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Like a like sugar not, for your brain. I don't know, right? Like you may not see my ankles, only my vocal cords. <laughs> And Shelley had also been expelled from Oxford along with his friend Thomas Jefferson Hogue for publishing a pamphlet called The Necessity of Atheism. <laughs> well, that'll Did do not, it. Didn't go over very well. I can't imagine why. And then he was estranged from his family and he sought Godwin in admiration of his political and philosophical ideas. Like, again, we're in the Enlightenment and everybody's just like, ooh, all these big ideas and they just want to hang out with like-minded people. This is why people back in the day like could publish 
things about that. Like we'd have to work eight hours a day and yeah. be depressed. So yeah, not he a title, so he could just do whatever he wanted. That'd be yeah. nice. Give me some land. Okay. Two years after Mary had left Scotland, she arrived back in England and was reintroduced to Shelley. It was the March of 1814, and she was almost 17 years old at this time. And he was five years older and married to Harriet. Well, <laughs> and had been married for about three years at this point. In 1811, he eloped with a friend of his sister's, Harriet Westbrook. Quote, their marriage quickly disintegrated. Perhaps it was Shelley's frequent attempts to seek out like-minded people, people that were often women, or perhaps it was the flame of young love, which is often quickly snuffed out under the winds of reality. End quote. <laughs> That's so hot. <laughs> Not on true either. But even if he was like, oh, I fell in love too fast and it just didn't work out, it didn't stop him from falling equally as fast with Mary. So he didn't learn any lessons because he's plopping face first into a new relationship. No man named Percy, I feel, has any. (laughs) (laughs) It's wrong. (laughs) But I'm thinking about Percy Weasley and I'm just like, yeah, that tracks. It does. There's another like a Regency book, isn't there, with a Percy? I think so. I it think so. gives off bad vibes. It's like bad news bears, you know? I don't know what it is. I don't like it. Percy. You heard it here first. <laughs> Never so Shelley and Mary grew really close. He was taken with Mary's intensity, her intelligence, her inherent wild nature. He also said to friends that she was passionate at times, but also very isolated because she had sadness because her mother was gone and all this so she had a lot of depth and he really dug it he wasn't gonna let the fact that he had a wife stop him (laughs) or that he had a kid because another minor detail so he fell madly in love with her and they would go on unchaperoned walks together lay gasp you just did not do that back then and then they would meet in secret at her mother's grave hot yeah (laughs) which she used to hang out there and read you know to be by her mom but i'm like "Mm." I'm like, that's a weird ye old dating. Let's yeah. meet at the parents' grave and Good make out <laughs> <laughs> and whisper sweet nothings in my ear. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of this is just like he keeps putting her in situations that can like ruin her reputation. And back then, as a woman, your reputation was everything. So, yeah. And she's still like a teenager at this point, right? Like, yeah. kind of. Makes me kind of feel sorry for her because we're going to get into it in like the next sentence. But yeah, her reputation gets so irreversibly damaged she has no choice but to go along with them right yeah she's just a kid so super super sad to the complete shock and surprise of her dad who believed the two were just friendly you know talking school stuff (laughs) he announced that he was in love and he planned to make mary his wife he was going to wife her up abroad which Let's not forget, he's already married. With a child. Yeah. With a child. So he was not jazzed about this at all. He was really concerned about her reputation. But also, if her reputation got ruined, it would ruin all the sisters as well. Like, it would just doom the family. And then they would yeah. all be unable to have matches. <sighs> it's very Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> it really is. I just started that Bridgerton or whatever. So it's very mm-hmm. reminding me of that, too. Like, I'll be ruined and nobody will want me. And- I would have totally been a Spencer. I didn't get married till 30, so <laughs> <laughs> cast away. 
And he also knew his daughter was very young and very passionate, and he feared what her life would be like if she was a 17 year old making this choice, which is very smart. Facts. And yeah. Today and, seems like he has a good head on his shoulders. Yeah. And he actually liked her. You know, a lot of right. <laughs> parents in the 18th century didn't necessarily like their kids. Like, for one, they didn't get attached because you didn't know how many were going to survive. So that was a factor. But, like, she was an intellectual equal almost to him. Like, they could debate and talk. And so I'm sure he had a really – ooh, I just hit my mic – a really good relationship with her and probably didn't want to lose her either. Yeah. So that's sad. <laughs> he tried to keep them apart, but her sister Jane acted as an interloper between the two young lovers. And by the 28th of July, the two stepsisters slipped out of the house in black silk gowns and met Shelly in a hired coach. The drama of the gowns, though. Like, I'm not going to lie. I want one now. <laughs> I know. Right? You know, it's going to be swishy and you just feel very dramatic. I love it. So the three of them were off on an adventure and the lovebirds were going to elope. But again, he's married, so they can't actually get married. The trio traveled to France, Switzerland, and then running out of money, came back to England. (laughs) (laughs) That tracks. And Daddy Godwin was pissed because after they left, there was this nasty rumor going around that he sold his two daughters to Shelley for 800 and 700 pounds each. So that wasn't boding well for the family. He's like, get the fuck out. And he, <laughs> which I'd be mad too. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think we all need to for like 2021. Run downstairs yes. dramatically, you know. Year of the dramatic cloak. I am here for it. <laughs> it was in England that Percy took his two new girls to the home of his wife, Harriet, to get more money. The fuck! The audacity of this bitch. <laughs> he's, like, a fuck, he's a fuck boy. Like nothing yeah. else. Ugh. <laughs> 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 I just I can't and then he tried to like reconcile differences with his own father to get money but then he quickly found himself ostracized from his home and society Percy was cut from the father's purse strings and was falling deeper into debt he had to financially support his wife Harriet their children together and now he has Mary and her sister to take care of so he was spending time between his chosen family and his legal family and then he was moving around to avoid creditors so this is not very romantic, and I'm sure she's like what 17, being like, "This is a fairy tale," and it was not a fairy tale. I don't like him. It was garbage. <laughs> Most of us have like a garbage ex that we had at like 17, 18, and we're like, "We're in love. It's gonna be forever." And then you realize like they were yeah. garbage. I'm. This is what I feel like. This is. Except she married. <laughs> yeah. Oh, blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> to make this even more disgusting, there was also speculation that Percy was like banging his girlfriend's sister. So okay. Mary, there's people that are like pretty sure that he was doing both of them, but there's no actual proof. But they were living in like really small quarters, and they were kind of like jealous and fighting and stuff. And she was suspecting, but he knocked up Mary and his wife, so we know that he was doing that. Right, right, right. Okay. But Jane at this point. But it's still really weird. Don't do that. Don't. I'm going to marry you, but I'm also going to have sex with your sister in the room next door. And we're in a one room thing. So I don't know how that works. Also, they didn't, <laughs> they didn't wash very often. Back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, I don't like it. Uh-uh. I, just, I just don't like it. And just in case none of this pissed you off enough, Percy also encouraged Mary to develop a sexual relationship with his best friend, Thomas Jefferson Hogue, we talked about while she was pregnant. Oh, God. I feel like there's websites for that, but none that I would want to watch. 
(laughs) (laughs) But she was uncomfortable with it. And thank God she decided against it. Because, like, consent is so important. And at this time, a lot of women didn't have the luxury of consent. So the fact that she was able to be like, I'm not, I don't take this, stop. And then they didn't force her in anything is kind of remarkable. Yeah, it speaks to her character for sure. Because yes. I feel like a lot of would not have spoken up to begin with. So yeah, look at Mary go. Yeah, she's very fiery, and I like her. Me too. Do not like him, but you know that's another thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so on February twenty second, eighteen fifteen, Mary and Percy's first child, a daughter, was born prematurely, but tragically died only six days later. <sighs> That's really, That's really, really sad. <sighs> yeah, I know. It's a lot of death coming up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just brace yourselves. <laughs> oh, I said six days later. She died later on March 6th. That's not six days. I, I'm i okay. All right. So <laughs> in August, the Shelleys moved to Bishopsgate, where on the 24th of January, Mary gave birth to a son named William. The following summer, the Shelleys were in Geneva, Switzerland, which sounds super nice, with Jane, the sister, who at this point had changed her name to Claire. So her last name's Claremont, and now she's going by Claire. And, Claire Claremont. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so they have her, and then they meet up with Lord Byron and John Polidori. Am I saying that right? Sure. I, okay. It sounds good. Okay. The group entertained themselves one rainy day by reading books about ghost stories. And I say summer, but this was technically the year without summer. So the eruption of Mount Tambora in Indonesia had filled the atmosphere with ash. There were sub-zero temperatures in New York that May. There were massive food shortages all over the world. And then there was frighteningly cold northern hemispheres. So at this time, there was no sun because everything was like really cloudy and spooky and scary. Hot. Which is like the perfect weather to write the great American horror novel, I guess. Like, yes, very much so. <laughs> it was cold. It was foggy. And it was so miserable that they all stayed inside and tried to find ways to entertain each other. So a lot of critics kind of waffle on what happens next. But this is what Mary said in her own words in the preface of the 1831 edition of Frankenstein. So sometimes in mid-June, the literary discussion of the Shelley-Byron party turned towards German ghost stories. Byron suggested each member of the group write a ghost story in the same vein. And our girl was pumped to do this because she was wanting to write and she was looking for inspiration and she was very competitive. Mm -hmm. So she said, quote, I busied myself to think of a story, one which would speak to the mysterious fears of our nature and awaken thrilling horror. One to make the reader dread to look round, to curdle the blood, to quicken the beatings of the heart. If I did not accomplish these things, my ghost story would be unworthy of its name. Jesus. The drama again. I love her. She has standards (laughs) for herself. Not when it comes to men, but (laughs) for her own self. We love it. Great. And then also in this introduction of Frankenstein, she recalls that Frankenstein was inspired by a nightmare she had. After a late night discussion between Shelley and Byron about the fashionable scientific topic of galvanism. So and this is a quote from her. When she went to sleep, she writes, quote, I saw with shut eyes, but acute mental vision. I saw the pale student of the unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together. I saw the hideous phantasm man stretched out, then on the working of some powerful engine show signs of life and stir with uneasy half vital motion. He sleeps, but he's awakened. His eyes 
Behold, the horror thing stands at his bedside, opening the curtains, looking on him with yellow, watery, but speculative eyes. She says that she opened her eyes and she realized that she had her story. Quote, what terrified me will terrify others, she thought, and she began working on it the next day. That's, That's pretty badass. I know. So galvanism, by the way, if you don't know, is the idea that scientists could use electricity to stimulate or restart life. It was named after Luigi Galvani, an Italian doctor. The concept came after Galvani was able to make frogs' legs twitch when he hooked them up to electric charges. Sometimes. <laughs> Causation doesn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we know now that doesn't work like that. But he thought he was really on to something. I mean, and I it- guess. They still use, like, the, oh, let me think. When they restart hearts, that's, like, kind of electricity, yeah. right? So yeah. just not from scratch. Yeah, I don't think, I think, like, yeah, you can, re, I don't think it's, do we call it reanimate life whenever you restart heart? But, I mean, that's what it is. But I think you yeah. like, just a leg. I mean, at that point, you have to have all the rest of the stuff for it to work. Yeah. I think that's where we, we have. Just the leg. <laughs> just the leg. You got to half. Yeah. <laughs> the study of electricity to stimulate muscle contraction and produce chemical reactions led to the fantastical concepts of liminal state between life and death as explored through the creation of Frankenstein's tragic creature. And this is from History Extra. It says, her own loss of a premature born child in 1815 undoubtedly bore influence too, as Victor brings about the unnatural birth by infusing his own assembled dead creation with unnatural life. So there's a lot of people that argue that Frankenstein was inspired by all her loss and all her miscarriages and child loss too. So that's probably, that's a theory. And then others think Shelley's own childhood may have also contributed to the thematic fears and concerns about Frankenstein because she has anxieties about motherhood. And of course she would know that because her death of her own mother. But then my skeptical ass is like, everybody's putting this motherhood shit because she's a woman. If a man had written this, nobody would ever thought of that theme at all. So it's, Yeah, I mean, I would say maybe, but I feel like Frankenstein is giving quote-unquote birth to this monster, right? So I guess in that sense I can see it. But no, yeah, if it was a man, they would never even run it off. They would have been like his creation. Yeah. The beauty of manhood. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then another fun fact, the Shelleys had visited Frankenstein Castle on a journey up the Rhine River. And while they were there, they most likely heard about the wild alchemist named Conrad Dippel, who lived there. And he was always trying to create an elixir he called Dippel. I don't know. (laughs) I spelled that wrong and it was already a word I didn't know. (laughs) Uh, that would make people live for over 100 years. And like Victor Frankenstein, he was rumored to dig up graves and experiment on body parts. Do you think that's where Diplo got his name? <laughs> yes, 1,000% right, that okay. has not happened, and I will forever think that. Perfect. <laughs> so a lot of people are like, well, she knew. She was at Frankenstein Castle. This guy's, like, chopping up stuff that has to be. And, I mean, maybe that could have been part of where her dream came from, was remembering this old memory and stuff. There's no mm-hmm. way to know. I, I don't. Mean, I think everything influences us. Like, no yeah. original idea is truly original in the sense like, of inspiration the comes people, from anywhere. Yeah, the people that are arguing this are people trying to discredit what she did. Well, I'll get into that in a little bit. I have a lot of thoughts. Okay. okay. <laughs> Regardless of the inspiration, in the next few weeks, Mary produced a short story, which would be expanded to become Frankenstein. Byron described her story as, quote, a wonderful work for a girl. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> why do they always have to be like, well, for a girl? They're like, why can't you just say it's good? We've all read it. We know it's good. I don't, <laughs> like, you don't have to be like, eh. Like, sir, come on. You're just jealous you didn't think of it. Be quiet. Yeah, you're just mad that he didn't win the mm-hmm. story contest. And another fun fact, even though Mary won the contest, there was another horror book written on this faithful night or summer. It was day. I don't know. It was <laughs> The Vampire written by Lord Byron's personal physician, John Polidori. Ooh. So Vampire with the Y, that one. Sexy. I know. So it's very serendipitous that both Frankenstein and the modern vampire trope were born in the same trip. And not by either of the famous poets. <laughs> <laughs> yes that's my favorite part (laughs) that is the best part and also she's 18 right now like she's created frankenstein at 18 years old when i was 18 the only thing i was writing for fun was dragon ball z fan fiction (laughs) we don't have to talk about it (laughs) that is incredible (laughs) (laughs) once they returned to england they were struck by another tragedy mary's half-sister fanny who was her mom's daughter with the affair She completed suicide on October 9th, and then a month later, Percy's wife, Harriet, drowned herself. That's really sad. And by all accounts, Mary was actually sad about Harriet dying, but they did get married a month later. They didn't wait very long, so it's not a good look. So it didn't help with all the scandals and all the gossiping, and yeah, it didn't help. (laughs) Also, so he was on, like, a trip with his, like, little affair buddy. His wife was just at home. Mm-hmm. Okay. Their I kid. hate him. Yeah. He's I so do annoying. Too. Yeah, like they had two kids, you know, still alive. And she's just hanging out home being like, all right, cool. And they're yeah. just like hanging out with Lord Byron. Like I'm sure <laughs> she's seeing that in the gossip pages or whatever. Like right. yeah, page six. Yeah. <laughs> like, God damn it. Yeah. So that's tragic. And they were married the next month. And then around this time, she started publishing travel logs about their escape to Europe. The first one being the history of the six weeks tour in 1817 that did really well. Okay. And then she continued to work on her monster tale. In January of 1817, Mary's sister Claire gave birth to a baby girl named Allegra, who is the love child of Lord Byron. Okay. So she sent the baby to Lord Byron to live in Italy. And then she immediately regretted it and was like, I want to come see the baby. Please let me come see the baby. And he's like, no, I'm tired of you. I'm sleeping with all these other women. You need to just stay there. And she's like, no, it's my baby, blah, blah, blah. He's like, no. And then he got tired of the baby, put the baby in a convent. And then the baby died of typhus at five years old. Oh, my God. He sucks, too. What the hell? Yes. Best friends suck together. I don't know. They both suck. I don't like them. The worst. and then Jane really never really recovered from that, which I mean, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, that's just way to make it sad, Kina. You did more enough to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back to Frankenstein. So about this time, she's finishing up, and three publishers rejected it at first, and then it was accepted by the Lackington Company. So it was officially published on January first, eighteen eighteen, and was authored anonymously when she was just twenty years old. So okay. That's still more than I've accomplished at 20. Same. <laughs> yes. <laughs> However, awesome. its opening pages house a dedication to William Godwins, her father. And this made the unknown author's political leanings pretty clear because, you know, he was very political and an enlightenment scholar. So a lot of conservative people all 
just started bashing on it immediately because of that. Many thought Percy had written it since he pinned the introduction and once the book proved to be a huge success, all of them were like, of course a man wrote it. Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. I remember reading about that back in college and mm-hmm. everyone was just like, of course. And he didn't yeah. like, he didn't like, you know, contradict it. He was just like, maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. <laughs> yeah, like that, no. Hulu, that Hulu show, there's like a moment where people are like, did you do it? And then she's like hiding behind the door. And he's like, no, I didn't. And I'm like, that's not what happened. Bitch. Stop trying to make him into like a, because of the thing, he's like charming and he loves her. And I'm like, well, this is not one. No. He was a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this little story was funny. So Sir Walter Scott, the author of Ivanhoe, enjoyed the book a lot and he, he called it worthwhile but juvenile and looked forward to more and said to a letter to the Shelleys being like good job Percy love it but you know you could work on it or whatever and she wrote back being like motherfucker I wrote this it is not bad it's not juvenile and blah 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 so I thought it was really funny That's that she was just like how dare you say he wrote this I did it no yeah, I like her. She's spunky. She's spunky. I was actually in the play Ivanhoe as a small child. Okay. <laughs> I, I played Lady Rowena. That's amazing. Oh, you have God. nightmares from it. Yeah. I was in a... Oh, this is the thing about school. It's so stupid. I was in Gifted and Talented, but at the same time, I was in... What do they call it? Resource for like... Because my math, I'm number dyslexic and nobody figured that out. So they thought I was stupid, but I was also in gifted and talented at the same time. So it was very... America. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, that was a fun year. I'm just like, why do I have to go to both? And yeah, so yeah. It, it sucked. But yeah, so in gifted and talent, we had to do a play. I was the lead. It was amazing. I got to wear a really pretty medieval dress. Uh, anyway, enough about me. <laughs> oh, man. A lot of people today still claim that Percy wrote this. I don't believe it. And one of the things that I think is good evidence is like you can actually examine the notebooks. They're online and you can see the notes that he wrote. And he left less notes than a copy editor leaves today on a book. Like he had a few notations, but it's not like anything you wouldn't do if you publish something today. So I just I don't buy it. He didn't write it. We all know it. They're just mad because a woman invented science yeah. fiction. It <laughs> <Literally>. does. <laughs> and it comes down to being like, how would a woman know about science? How would a woman know about these things? And, you know, the main characters are men. How would she know? And um, she was intelligent. So- her time around a lot of smart, intelligent, powerful men. And they treated her like an equal. I think that's the. It's also funny to me because the relationship between Frankenstein and his like his BFF in the book. It's described in literature as homosocial because it's almost erotic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like they just needed a push towards each other to kiss, but they do not. It's funny and- to that because that's the next theory. Oh. <laughs> oh. Please continue. There's a guy named John Lauritsen Lur- who argues that Percy wrote it, but as a way to express his latent homosexuality. So he thinks that <laughs> well <laughs> i mean isn't everyone a little gay <laughs> I know. right <laughs> uh, so this dude went ham on a critic who said mary wrote it because the book was obviously written by a teenager she's like it's too bad it, you know obviously 
teenager did it. And he's like, no. So he said no to the quote, old feminist misinterpretations of Frankenstein, motherhood, dead and aborted babies and so on. That's kind of like a really a rough way of putting that dude. But then he said, Frankenstein is about male relationships, romantic friendships, companionships, and for the poor monster ostracism. Why can't I say that word either? Ostracism. (laughs) Ostracism. Yeah, there we go. So he's saying that Percy was secretly homosexual and he wrote it as a way to express that. Yeah, so not buying it. Not buying it either. Who's to say Percy and Jefferson, you know, didn't keep each other warm at night from time to time? It's we true. Don't know what could have happened? He could have been pushing her to have a relationship so he could have threesomes. Very true. Yeah. Be like, you'll be fine. Once you like this, let me show you how. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Like, Percy was a womanizer, but that doesn't mean anything. So, no, it means nothing. But I mean, also, she was hanging around a lot of very sexually free people. So, if she would have put that into the book as well, I mean, I just think men assume that women don't know shit about sex ever. And it's like, no sir like she was then, hanging out with the the smartest people of her time and men are men no matter how smart they are so i'm sure they were cracking jokes and like talking about sex and blah 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 oh so. yeah and there was something i didn't put it in here but there was some articles that talk about that they were you know the bohemian lifestyle where there was a lot of the free love type, you know, like the hippie stuff where they were just like everybody just have sex with everybody and they were like i like that let's get on board with that and <laughs> So I'm sure she was around a lot of conversations about this. So, or that, you know, sexuality is very fluid. And that was a thing that was popping up in certain circles too. So it might not be like necessarily like homosexuality or it could just be like bisexuality. Like it just whole bunch, whole bunch of stuff it could be. Yeah. Close your eyes, find the whole type. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love yeah. class theory. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hell. Okay. It's okay. My hot take is she wrote it. I think she did. I think that I don't think Percy could have written it. His style of writing was so different and his opinions were so different. I think if Percy would have wrote it, he would have written, he would have made a bigger deal about it and mm-hmm. he would have written a lot more novels. Oh, you yeah. Know? He was a poet. And if you like his stuff, like whatever, fine. <laughs> I just, yeah. I'm just so bad at the poetry, but like, Knowing him and like hearing him as a person, there's mm-hmm. no way he wouldn't have tried to make this into a whole thing, popularized oh, yeah. it. So there's no way he did it. I'm there's sure no he helped he her, you know, like anonymously either. He would have wanted exactly. She had to because she was a woman. Yeah, I just <sighs> no nonsense, <laughs> nonsense. And I thought this was just interesting. So Frankenstein was a hit, obviously, and the earliest adaptation was 1820. Really? So they adapted it into a play called The Presumption. It was a production that would inspire numerous spinoffs, performing regularly until the 1850s. In these performances, the name of Frankenstein was switched to the monster instead of the scientist. Which is why they think a lot of people today even confuse the Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I just thought people just didn't know. But it could be because of this. You know, in the early plays, Frankenstein was the monster. So we could give those people some grace. Yeah. Or we could continue to make them feel like they have committed a crime. Yeah. (laughs) 
Or we could be like the pretentious people. Well, actually, in eighteen twenty, play where Frankenstein was the monster. I bet you didn't know that, did you? Just, uh, take a seat upon my stool. Let me tell you of a time past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So after the book does really well, they moved to Italy. They were kind of living there. They were traveling. And at this point, they have two children, William and Clara. Young Clara, no more than a year old, contracted dysentery. Yeah. And by the time they realized that something was really wrong, they tried to rush her to Venice to find a doctor, but there was it was too late, and she died in Mary's arms. That sucks. I know. She and then luck with kids. Yes, she does. And then a few months later, their young William contracted worms. Yikes! And this was a minor illness, and they were planning on relocating to a cooler climate, and they thought they had time, you know, so. They didn't. They waited too long. And like others living in Rome, when the swamps rise, little William contracted malaria and he died within five days. Holy shit. So while Mary seemed devoted to her husband, she didn't have the easiest marriage. Their union was riddled with adultery and heartache, including the death of two these two of her children. And it put a huge strain on it. So Mary grew pretty cold and despondent. She was just riddled with grief and depression. And... The only thing that really got her through this was her writing and it kept her moving forward. In 1819, Mary gave birth to a son, Percy, who would be the only child out of five to reach adulthood. Damn. And this is all before like 24 years old. This is insane. God. There is so much loss and pain in just such a short life so far. Was she ever not pregnant then? You know, like for those five years? Like she had... A few of them are miscarriages, so yeah. they're pretty short. But yeah, she was probably like constantly pregnant. I guess there was no birth control. Yeah. In eighteen twenty-two, life kicked her in the teeth once again. She suffered a miscarriage, which almost killed her. And then her beloved husband Percy died. Do I feel sad? Yeah. <laughs> her, yes, him. No. <laughs> Sad for her, because I'm sure she loved him, you know? Yeah. But. So, Percy had been visiting friends, and they were partying on a small boat. And then when they were turning home, there was a thunderstorm, and it caught the small crew, and it capsized the craft, and they drowned pretty much immediately. It took days for Mary to even realize anything had gone wrong, because, you know, there's no technology. And it took about two weeks for his body to wash to the shore, and at that point, they were unrecognizable, and the only way to identify them was their clothing. And she knew it was him because she had put a book of John Keats' poems in his pocket. Oh, my God. No. So sad. So sad. <laughs> uh. So, yeah, she's she's almost 25. Four of her children are dead, and now her husband's dead, and she's a widow. Like, I just cannot imagine no, I can't oh. even do laundry on a regular basis. Like, my life's not together enough now. Imagine yeah. that. No. I, yeah. So this is where it gets weird. So while his body was being cremated, one thing remained. His heart, which was calcified and didn't burn. Okay. Modern day physicians believe that it may have calcified due to an earlier bout of tuberculosis. That's the only theory I could find. So that was interesting. I... What if he was the monster all along? Yeah. <laughs> yes, hardened heart, literally. So, like a goth queen she is, Mary Shelley kept the heart on her at all times, wrapped in a silken shroud. 
desk well. And then when she passed away, they found it in her writing desk beside her work. So, I mean, it's still really sad. It's sad, but also kind of rock and roll. You know? <laughs> <Totally metal>. I <laughs> always dress in black with a veil and have your heart <laughs> in a purse. <laughs> yeah. Like a bag, ma'am. Short. Um, <laughs> just watch out because the heart's in there. So, you know. <laughs> it's okay. It's calcified. It's like you can't oh <laughs> Well, eventually the heart was buried with the family in their vault. The son Percy had done that. So okay. eventually it was reunited. Uh, so Shelly worked really hard to support herself and her son. She wrote several more novels, including Felperga. Am I saying that right? Sure. I don't <laughs> and then the science fiction tale, The Last Man. She was also devoting herself to promoting her husband's poetry and preserving his place in literary history. It's kind of like in Hamilton where they make a big deal about how yeah. she preserved his history. It's like the women, it's like you treated them like shit your entire marriage. And the only reason people know about you is because of what they did. It's so sad. It is really sad. Hamilton was shitty though. So yeah, not yeah, as shitty as Percy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know, actually. <laughs> I'm not sure on that one. I'm going to reserve judgment. Yeah. Let us know. What's your take? Who is worse? Percy uh, Shelley. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a poll on Twitter or something. Perfect. <laughs> oh, so for several years, Shelley faced some opposition from her late husband's father, who had always disapproved of their life, their bohemian lifestyle. She also fought constantly to maintain her reputation, which had been dragged down all her life because they quote scandals of her youth. So she's like a widow. She's just trying to make by and people are still fucking with her. And she's like, my God, just leave her alone. (laughs) She was a child, you know, like a lot of this stuff I just don't think was her fault. The last six years of Mary Shelley's life were spent in relative peace and retirement. She lived to see her son marry. Hmm. Okay. Now he is Sir Percy Shelley because he inherited the father's stuff. So that's nice. At least she got something nice before she died. And then she dies of brain cancer <laughs> February 1st, 1851 at the age of 53. Way to slide that one in there. Yeah. Death, 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 death. It's just so much death. So she lived to 53, which seems... That's so bad for their time. She outlived pretty much everybody. I mean, luckily her son outlived her because I don't know if she would have survived losing her last kid. That'd be so sad. She's buried at St. Peter's Church in Burnmouth. Oh, it's okay. probably one of those London words that look like a thing, but it's not. So I apologize if you're from there. And then she was laid to rest with the remains of her late husband's heart. Okay. Her heart. So that's that's fine. So after her death, her son Percy and her daughter-in-law, who was also named Jane, had Mary Shelley's parents exhumed and brought to be next to Mary. So that's nice too. Because uh, they were in a cemetery in London and it would have been neglected. So oh. they've all been moved. They're all together okay. now. That's nice. And though Frankenstein has assured Mary Shelley's place in literary history, she is really important in a lot of other genres, um, especially nonfiction prose, you know, forms of biography, travel essays. And she ranks as some of the best in those genres as well. That's awesome. Look at her. I know. And of course, you know, Frankenstein, everybody knows it. It's been adapted into movies. Fun fact, in 1910, Thomas Edison made a one reel 15 minute film of Frankenstein. It was the first horror movie ever made. That's kind of really cool. 
I know, right? And wow. then you have all the more like the 1994 adaptation. And then you have things like Young Frankenstein, the parodies, and then you have like Rocky Horror and all that. So yeah, it's just a huge uh, component of pop culture and things that we know and love. I think the newest one was like I Frankenstein. I don't know how I felt about that movie, but it was yeah. a Frankenstein movie. So I guess. <laughs> is that the one with Daniel Radcliffe? It is. Yeah. Right? Okay. I haven't it seen it bad, yet. But I was just like, huh. I usually try to watch all his projects because I'm a true loyal fan. <laughs> I think I had just seen Horns and I was like, I need a break from this man. <laughs> he does love his indies. He doesn't care anymore. He's just like, I'm rich. I'll take all the weirdest shit I'll, I can take. Yeah. And honestly, I support it. I do too. He's delightful. I just watched his Hot Ones episode he's funny as hell yes yeah and i love that he can make fun of himself and yeah he's delightful i just want to be his friend i know me too (laughs) but man if you're listening (laughs) hit a girl up (laughs) like in a friend way you know he talks about how he has no social media he doesn't go online for anything so really frustrating how am i supposed to stalk you i I know how are we supposed to insert ourselves into your life (laughs) the universe will provide maybe maybe he'll see my tiktoks you know (laughs) all righty when you mentioned mary shelley i thought the grave thing did you come across the fact that there's rumors that she lost the virginity on her mother's grave there we go over that Oh, I saw one thing mention it, but it was like a blog and they didn't really cite it. So I didn't. Yeah, I don't know if it's real or not. I think it's just like popularized culture thing. Yeah. But like, what is it? Like ran away and like hung out there. So I mean, it's possible, but. You know, one thing leads to another. <laughs> you just <laughs> have sex on your mother's grave sometimes. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I'm too paranoid to be like, oh, they're watching me. <laughs> no it's just like outside Mm-mm. yeah it'd be a weird so my dad died uh, a year before i met my husband so mm-hmm. uh we're it's fine it's been a while we're good and um <laughs> so like years later before we moved here we went to visit my mom and i was like oh let's go see dad or whatever and it was just like the super awkward thing i'm like hey dad's my husband hey husband's my dead dad <laughs> you imagine just being like oh you know, going on dates to your mom's grave. Like, what do you say? Like, I'm so incredibly awkward. I'm sure they were so very poetic and like romantic or something, but my experience was not. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to a graveyard in a while, so I don't know what what would happen. Amanda's <laughs> in like a crypt thing, like a wall. So okay, not as like sexy as I guess like an old timey tombstone or like whatever. Mausoleum. <laughs> <laughs> a little less dramatic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was an awesome, like, retelling of the story. So thank you for sharing. Oh, thank you. I didn't know he was an asshole like that. So yeah, they leave that out of a lot of the stuff. I was like, wow, <laughs> piece of work. All right. You want to give into Harry Potter fandom history? Yes, 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 yes. yes. Oh, I got my wand and everything. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. I just have this little owl mug. I'm like, it's Hedwig. Kind of. Not really. I never get to like get it out. Well, like you have a legit wand. I do. Yeah. I have. I got Dumbledore's wand. It's it's the Elder Wand, and I want to be powerful. Love that it. Yeah. Fine. So, I 
fair warning. I'm going to go into a lot of like weird in-depth shit right now. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so really fun. So if you need me to like slow down and explain anything, let me know. Okay. Um, there's something in my eyes where I'm not crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay if you are. I, I laughed so hard the last episode because there's this, um, oh, she was going over funny books and one was like the big lesbian horse book or something. And she was talking about all the stories. I was crying. I had mascara oh everywhere. I was like, why would people write this? That's awesome. Uh, it made me laugh. Terrifying, but awesome. Okay. <laughs> so I think we have to uh, time travel. Yes. Back to 1997. Oh, man. When the first book was published. And I guess let's okay, let's give a little context, right? Like we all know what Harry Potter is. I think we all know what a fandom is, right? Yeah. Okay. And I think the Harry Potter fandom, there's levels to it. It's kind of like you have a casual fan who's seen the movies and who enjoys like going to Harry Potter World, whatever. You have like the in-depth fan that's read the books a few times, maybe buys like special edition novels and like all this stuff. And then you start getting into my people (laughs) (laughs) the people who read fan fiction and the people who like listen to wizard rock and the people that like know about the controversies and were there when like fan like fictionality was born and like all these things so we're going to go back in time and talk about how these things came to be because the harry potter fandom right now is pretty much the child of very few people like when the books first came out it was the late 90s the internet was a thing but not Mm -hmm. really developed and it really wasn't what it is now social media didn't exist the way it does now so the way the fandom looks today is nothing like what it did look like but it was definitely a development of what was created at the time so let's put our time traveling hats on we're going back to 1997 grab your time turners yes (laughs) get ready get your like butterbeer (laughs) 1997 the folks books come out and it's wild success it's harry potter is still considered like a children's novel for the most part and jk rowling publishes the first four books in quick succession so 1997 to 2000 she's pumping out a book a year at this point the fourth novel goblet of fire is the first one where we kind of see things getting a little bit more intense a little bit on the adult side, Voldemort comes back to life, Cedric Diggory dies and becomes Edward Cullen, a whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then we have nothing until 2003 in terms of books that are published. And this three-year period, as it's known in the fandom, the three-year summer, is where the fandom really started to grow and develop as a community, online and in person because there was a lack of canon information coming from the books a lot of the fans were growing up with the books a lot of the older fans like were organizing and creating these communities online and for the first time we really saw a boom of creativity almost um that created the you know the seeds of the fandom uh we know and love today however like any good history story the seeds of this fandom were not pure Okay, <laughs> there, there are stories of wars, of betrayals, sex and religion, corruption, <laughs> love, <laughs> and even new fandoms developing from the story we all know and love. So also like any good history story, we have some players that are part of this story. The players are mostly adults or were adults at the time. And when I say adults, I mean like 
early to mid 20s at the time when the first three books had come out. The first like fan fiction site, I think, was put online in 1999. And the first like Harry Potter fan fiction was published on fanfiction.net in 1999 as well. Wow. I have not read this story, right? <laughs> I was eight at this point, so I was not aware of what was going on. I had just picked up my books and I was just, you know, careening into the magical world. At wow. the same time, thousands of miles away in the United States of America, there was a little group on Yahoo groups called <laughs> HP4GU or Harry Potter for Grown Up. And these people... I think the most famous person in there was Cassandra Clare, the renowned author of the Mortal Instruments, <laughs> was a part of. And uh, this Harry Potter for Grown Ups group was made up of a lot of like big fan fiction authors of the time or uh, big name fans who also were going by the by BNFs because they were cool. In uh, 2000, I think like around this time in 2000, Yahoo groups sh- shut down, I believe. Weirdly... We talked about Yahoo groups last night when we filmed the extra. Somebody sent in a story about something on Yahoo groups. This is the most I've thought about Yahoo groups since I was like 15. <laughs> yeah, well, so on AO3, um, Archive of Our Own, the big fan fiction website, they had like a note in there a few weeks ago. They were like, Yahoo group shut down 20 years ago today. I'm like, damn, okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so Yahoo group shut down and uh, there was a need for a new platform to take all the people that were in the HP4GU group and all the Harry Potter groups, and there were a whole bunch on Yahoo groups, into new websites. And because Yahoo groups shut down, we then see the birth of Fiction Alley and The Sugar Quill, which were two competing fanfiction websites, because one was supportive of the Harmony ship, the SS Harmony as it went by, (laughs) which was the romantic pairing of Harry and Hermione, versus the Hinny ship, or Harry and Ginny. Weasley. They also went by Orange Crush, I believe. There was a few different oh, names. That's amazing. It was a cool thing. Yeah. <laughs> now, why was it necessary for, for there to be two different fanfiction websites? Why couldn't they all go in one part? Well, that was because <laughs> these two ships could not be on the same platform because fans were feuding. I'm talking like you either were a Harmony shipper or you were a Hinny shipper. There was no in between. This is not a game, okay? <laughs> and it's serious. <laughs> it was so serious. Like, I'm real life. Like, you were either this or that. There was some Dramini in there, but those were like the bad boys type of thing. <laughs> so they weren't like so bothered. But Trigger Quill was only for canon pairings. Hinny, like you have to be approved to put your fan fiction on there by the mods. The mods were very much into controlling what was happening. It had to be appropriate. There was no nonsense. It had to be based on canonical information. Fictionally, very different story, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you could throw a rock and hit some weird shit on Fictionally, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. No jokes. Like these people, the, they were mods. But nobody gave a fuck. It was That's amazing. Pull out trash can fire. <laughs> I'm talking bestiality. I'm talking incest fan fiction. Like everything under the sun slash pairings, which were not popular back in the day. Like it was still a new thing to write slash pairings, you know, in the, in the thing. Also problem, these characters at this point were maybe 14 years old. 
So unless you didn't age them up and made a conscious effort to age these characters up, you were writing like smut with children, which creepy. Yeah, do not recommend. Yeah, Fiction Alley was like, do whatever you want to do, girl. (laughs) Quill was like, no. (laughs) There was also another site called Gryffindor Tower that was based on like canon information. It had to be like Harry Ginny, blah, 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 blah. So because I'm learning so much <laughs> because the big name fans be- okay well because the internet wasn't what it was now and because there were very few amount of popular like big name authors in the fandom it was very easy for those people and their friends to become known as like big name fans to be very popular to the point that they almost developed an aura of I don't want to say godlike thing, but they were definitely being worshipped by a lot of people. Like the goal was you want to be in with those people. You want to be in with the cool kids. And so much so that people in the fandom started referring to these people as the inner circle. And all you wanted was to be part of this inner circle, you know, like you wanted to be there with Cassandra Clare and her cronies. And Cassandra (laughs) Clare was big at the time because of one specific story in particular called the Draco Trilogy. Between 2000 and 2006, she began publishing this three-arc story of Draco fanfiction that paired up Draco and Ginny, or Drinny, and Harry and Hermione, because Cassandra Clare was on the Harmony side of things. She did not fuck with Harry and Ginny. They were not a thing. (laughs) So that was going on. She was assimilating more and more, like, power. Her fans were going insane to the point that they were like harassing fans of like Haney writers on Sugar Quill. It was a whole situation. In 2001, Cassandra Clare gets accused of plagiarism and she has to take all, and she gets banned from fanfiction.net, which is where she was publishing the Draco trilogy. This is spoiler alert, not the first time Cassandra Clare is going to be accused <laughs> of plagiarism in this tale. Oh, man. <laughs> and I'm not talking like, this is Harry Potter fan fiction, so she's plagiarizing. Because everyone was writing fan fiction, even though at the time you had to write a disclaimer at the top of your story to say that you didn't own any of these characters, whatever. Like, she had taken specific colloquialism, like, and, like, dialogue from, like, Buffy episodes and just put them in her story and claimed them as her own. Yeah, like, it was a whole thing. She was, girl was copy-pasting left and right, okay? And it was very obvious. Beverly did on that, didn't give a shit. Well, they were, like, fuck no so they kicked her off so she's been banned since 2011 and she started posting her stories i think on fiction alley and on her live journal which if you know live journal <laughs> yeah. also a shit show a hot mess i love it but no it was a hot mess <laughs> so now we have again you know like cassie is growing in popularity with her people, the inner circle, her fans, and the fans of the Henny shippers are going like at each other's throats. And it's escalated to the point where this is not funny, but I think it's a little funny. <laughs> in 2001, also, we have the first time the law has to get involved in, yes, 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 the real law, <laughs> real life <laughs> has to get involved because the shipping wars had escalated to the point where people were now doxing each other and uh, Cassandra Clare announced that she had been stalked like and harassed online for like months and months and so she called the police in and it turns out the culprit was the husband of one of the mods of Gryffindor Tower which was another live (laughs) fanfiction website whoa yes 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 yes. which is it's insane when you think about it you know like And I think it's hard to understand, like, 
the phenomenon of what Harry Potter was and what the community was becoming and how big these people are. Like now I can't really think of a popular fan. You know, it's not really a thing. I think yeah. people have favorite authors. Like I know like different fandoms, like their authors, like I had a favorite very author of whatever, mm-hmm. but you would never consider them like big name fans or worship them in any case. But Cassie was, her impact on the fandom was so big. Like she, her Draco trilogy impacted the way that we to this day view fan and Draco. Like how he's characterized, the whole like leather pants, cool, witty. Like that's comes from her fanfic. She wow. created that. Did she steal some of it? Probably. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like that was like all her doing. Her and some other authors, like Maya, wrote a bunch of fics where Draco was characterized like that as well. So they worked together. But it was just cool because it was an inner circle of fan fiction authors it was kind of like you know they were the percy shelley of their generation (laughs) (laughs) yeah just hanging out doing the whole thing a hot mess but yeah we have that we have the fan fiction we have the the shipping wars are continuing on and on and on it's getting worse cassie's getting you know stalked and at the same time on another lone corner of the internet we have a figure that emerges known as miss scribe I cannot go into detail for all of this because you would need six hours. But <laughs> you can have your own podcast. <laughs> this by far is like the most insane thing that I think happened that wasn't by Cassandra Clare. Uh, <laughs> she's gonna come for me. <laughs> don't don't sue me, Cassie. I'm sorry. <laughs> but essentially, Cassie and her croonies were so popular that People want to be their friends so bad. So enter Miss Scribe, another fanfiction author who got a lot of hits online with her first stories. And she was also posting like updates of her life. So garnering a lot of um, like fans herself, I would say. Um, However, weirdly enough, she starts getting a lot of hate mail. Weirdly religious hate as well. You know, it's just like just a touch of homophobia here and there. It's a touch of how dare you write fan fiction that's disgusting. And she's like responding to these hate comments very openly because they're coming at her openly. It gets so bad that people are just like, this is really weird. Why is one woman getting so many hate, so much hate? You know, and she's kind of becoming a big name fan, but she's not quite there yet. And she's not really friends with Cassie that we know of. But we know like that's kind of where she was going to be. It gets so bad that eventually people start looking into the issue and they find out that she had created a bunch of sock puppets. What are sock puppets, mate? <laughs> you want to know. Sock <laughs> puppets are the early 2000 version of Catfish Account. Oh this, my woman, God. this woman had created so many alternative, I guess, personas on the internet yeah. to send hate to herself and to people that were attacking Cassie so that she would rise to popularity and that Cassie would hear about her so that she would eventually be part of the inner circle. What a elaborate web she has weaved. It was a whole thing. <laughs> One of her sock puppets was Fermato Jam. That's what he went by. And he was apparently some student at a Christian college. And um, because slash fan fiction background, behind all of this, right, the, the shipping wars are still going on. <laughs> People are still losing their goddamn minds over this shit. We still don't have Order of the Phoenix. So <laughs> no one knows what the fuck is going on. The three-year summer is still going. Behind the like the misscribed sub puppet accounts, there is a conversation starting about 
what fan fiction should be about, what it should be allowed to be about, and what it shouldn't be allowed to be about. So there's a lot of fighting going on about, is slash fan fiction allowed? Which is just thinly veiled homophobia. But, you know, nothing new here. What should, you know, is bestiality allowed? And maybe not. Maybe we stop there. Although... <laughs> I don't know. People change into like werewolves all the time. Who knows? So like for Monojam was a sock puppet that was coming at Miss Scribe with like a bunch of religious nonsense. And she was like offended and blah, 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 blah. But long story short, people figure out that she's sending hate to herself. And so she all comes, everything comes crumbling down. You know, the facade is open, but we really don't know who she is as a person. Like we still don't know what her true persona, what her true name is. That happens. And that's kind of the beginning of the end of the inner circle, as it was known, because people were kind of like, what the fuck? Why is all this <laughs> shit going down in a Harry Potter fan remote fan fiction? Like, this is really weird. It also helped that in 2003, Order of the Phoenix came out and that, you know, the beasts that I was a part of had new things to consume. We had new yeah. information. We had, like, new information from J.K. Rowling, blah, blah, blah. This is also the first time that we see, like, a romantic partnering going on in the books because Harry's dating Cho all this stuff, the internet is changing, more and more fan fiction sites are being created, including the restricted section, which was a site that pretty much was just smut. It was straight up porn. It, that's <laughs> all it was. <laughs> like, for real, for real. You had, I think, prove that you were 18 to be able to get an account there. They were sued by J.K. Rowling. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, I forget what year I have to look up. <laughs> I'm so learning so much. It was a whole thing. Yeah, in 2003, they received a cease and desist notice from J.K. Rowling's agent and, and Warner Brothers asking them to take down sexually explicit material. Oh, wow. Awkward. Well, I imagine because <laughs> a lot of the characters, like you said, are children, so it can get kind of kind of weird if they don't age them up right yeah and i think like at that point too people were just so obsessed with having their ship sail like they were speculations about like oh my god is hitty gonna win is harmony gonna win like all this stuff and they were just going berserk and crazy that helps when again like order of the phoenix comes out we get more canonical information fan fiction is still kind of a very underground type of thing like cassie's still publishing this draco trilogy She's not done yet. And in the midst of this, in 2004, Cassie publishes something called The Mortal Instruments. Is oh. that her novel, you say? No. Alas, it is not. Um, she wrote this fan fiction as like a dare and to like shame people that were writing these type of fan fictions. But she published it. And it is, in fact, an incest Harry Potter fan fiction focusing on Ron and Ginny Weasley. So that happened she posts that online people go crazy they're just like ill gross whatever and then she continues to post i think she's at this point she's still publishing the last book of the draco trilogy but it's not done yet i was not reading this in real time but people that were were telling me that she was posting like a, a chapter could come once a week it could come one every six months like we don't know what's going on everything was really disorganized cassie's losing kind of her power in the fandom because a lot of people are wondering hey why is everyone obsessed with you? Why are your fans sending hate to all these other people? Why what is going on? That's- yeah, and then it's also like, you know, outside the fandom, like we see Quidditch being played for the first time in real life. 
people, the movies start coming out. So everyone mm-hmm. is like, oh my God, I'm checking when the movie came out. In high school, I worked at a movie theater when it came out. So okay. It would have been like 2000. Yeah, like the first convention happened in 2003. It was a whole thing. Oh, no. Harry and the Potters. So Wizard Rock is starting at the time. There's just a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, Sorcerer's Stone came out 2001. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Chamber 2002. There. Okay. So there's just Harry Potter as a whole is becoming more commercial in general. And I think the fandom is increasing. But not everyone is subscribing to this kind of like underground type of thing. Like when I started reading fan fiction, it was, we do not speak about this thing that we read, you know, like you don't talk about it. Mostly because it was dirty. (laughs) 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 Did I learn more from fan fiction than I did like my health class? Absolutely. Was it mostly wrong information? Also, (laughs) yes. But you know, you don't know that as a child, but it was just kind of like, the inner circle was losing its glamour because now we have more and more people publishing works because they're figuring out they want to write. It was a whole thing. It was just like the the three-year summer ends and with it also ended the, the glory days of the inner circle, so to speak. So 2004, Incest, Harry, Gin, uh, Ginny, Ron, fanfiction comes out, named The Mortal Instruments. Keep that in mind. We fast forward to December 2004, and one of the biggest scandals of the inner circle <laughs> takes place when, uh, I think it's December 4th or December 6, 2004, Cassandra Clare posts on her live journal that her apartment has been broken into and that her and her boyfriend's laptops have been stolen. She then, with a friend, start a fundraiser so that she could purchase new laptops because how else is she supposed to post online the rest of her Draco trilogy? Oh, my God. Right. Now, the, the deal was people donate money. And in exchange, there was, like, talk of sending people drabbles or short fan fictions in return for the donation. But either way, Cassie was supposed to get the money for laptops. Any money that was not used for the laptops was going to be donated to a hospital for a toy drive. To this day, we have no idea how much money was raised. We have no idea if the money, the extra money, did go to a hospital for a toy drive. We know that Cassie got new laptops, however, <laughs> okay? And there's still no clue if the break-in was actually real or not because wow. there was no proof ever posted online. Yeah. So. She's a sneaky bitch. Don't sue me. <laughs> this then escalates because other people in the inner circle were going through some stuff. And they were upset that, like, their fundraisers hadn't proven to be so successful. It was a whole thing. This time is called, referred to as Laptop Gate. (laughs) (laughs) And or Charity Wank. (laughs) Even better. (laughs) And it's kind of like, it doesn't, like, put the nail in the coffin on Cassandra Clare's and, like, the inner circle situation. But, like, as in general... I think just her fans were aging out of that. You know, there were more people they could kind of follow along and, and really be entertained by. And as a whole, she just was losing her hold on people. Mm-hmm. And even if she was still publishing the Draco trilogy, she was taking too long to do it. And she was still getting, like, dinged for plagiarism on a regular basis. Like, this was happening. Every other chapter, people are just like, bro, what the fuck? <laughs> so, <laughs> a hot mess. 2006 happens. I believe it is August. Ahmad, by the name of Avocado, publishes an extensive expose on Cassandra Clare, accusing her of plagiarism, showing all the parts of her fan fictions that are plagiarized from, and pretty much like exposing her to the fandom as a whole, 
And remember, this is in a time when it really felt like you were a part of these fandom communities, you know, like because liking Harry Potter wasn't cool. There was no like, you know, was any word of Harry Potter. You were kind of just keeping your shit to yourself, going online, reading weird shit about Draco and Harry hooking up. Maybe <laughs> just me. I don't know. <laughs> but like, it was just a very tight community. Live journal was where everything was happening. Like, yeah, MuggleNet was a thing, but it was all on these like small time servers where everyone was kind of paying attention to what was going on. You did not just expose someone accusing them of plagiarism like that especially with the type of backup that they had outrage two weeks after the expose is published cassie announced that she's taking all her shit offline takes down the draco trilogy takes down the mortal instruments she was also really popular in the lord of the rings fandom i know for a fan fiction i never read it but people say that it's really good so i don't know no i think it's called like the very secret diaries or something I think you can still probably find these things online. You'd have to scavenger the dark web. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) So that's 2006. 2007. Deathly Hallows comes out. The last Harry Potter book. Everyone's kind of focused on that. They don't really notice Cassie also publishing the first installment of her six book series, The Mortal Instruments. Which was also the name of the creepy fan fiction she posted. From that Ryan is Jimmy. insane. I had no idea. <laughs> yes. And upon reading her story, everyone noticed that the Mortal Instruments, the book, is essentially just a combination of the plots of the Draco trilogy and the Mortal Instruments, the fan fiction. She just changed the names around, added some flair here and there, repackaged it, and sold it as a new thing. Wow. So... The Mortal Instruments fandom was born out of Harry Potter. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But it's a creepy yes, it is. <laughs> and if you've read the Mortal Instruments, you know that there are two incest storylines in those novels. That's where it comes from. Just replace Jason Clary, her heroes, with um, Draco and Ginny. Oh, and oh there you have it. Oh, no. Yeah, so we're going to put her aside for a while. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry for sounding like I'm shitting on her, but like she literally bullied children offline, so I don't feel bad yeah. about this at all. Whatever. But 2007, the last Harry Potter movie comes out. Oh, sorry, the book comes out. Um, we all cry across the land because we're yes. very sad, of Amazing. course. Once the seventh book comes out, there's a shift in the underground fandom because now that we have all the information, you can kind of take more liberties, but you also know more about characters' backstories. So, like, remember we're talking about shipping wars. The Harmony fans lost. The Harry Hermione fans <laughs> had to put their piece. They had to say, okay, fine. Because once Half-Blood Prince came out and Harry and Ginny started going out, they had to be like, fuck it. We can no longer talk about this because it's no longer canon. Or at least they, they still can, obviously, just write Harry Hermione fan fiction, but it doesn't hold the same weight as it did before because first they were fighting with the idea that eventually one of their sides would be vindicated in a sense, right? Yeah. It happened. It just wasn't the Harry Hermione shippers. They couldn't. It was bad. I thought it was funny because I don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't ship Harry and Hermione, so I was like, fuck it. <laughs> But whatever. But now that all the books are out, of course, there's like new drama going on, obviously, and always. But it's kind of like people now 
I don't know. I think growing up while the books were coming out was different than now when you can kind of get them all at once and go yeah. through them, you know, because you're missing out on that that three-year summer, like that fandom growth and development that was happening at the time. Now you kind of have everything available to you. So you're consuming the information at a faster rate, A, but also very differently because you have all this context. And it's, I think it's easier to create better ideas of who characters are as a whole. Yeah, but whatever. Book comes out, everything's wonderful. Everything kind of goes quiet for a while until the fandom explodes again with a new obsession in two thousand and nine. A little thing, maybe you've heard it called a very Potter musical. Yeah, a young strapping Darren Chris. Yes, <laughs> this shook us the internet. It gave new life into the fandom. Um, I believe they almost got sued because of it, but like nothing happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if you've seen the musical, right? I have. I was working at the teen center when it like blew up. So yeah, they made me watch it. <laughs> it was on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, I remember my friend being like, oh my God, Zoe, like you'll never guess this college group did like this thing. And I was in high school. It was my last year in high school at the time. It was like, oh my God, they're so good. Like I, went to Darren Chris concerts, okay, where he, like, performed the songs from the musical. I know. I'm so cool. Um, yes. <laughs> thousand percent. Yeah, like, it was, as the kids say, a cultural reset. <laughs> <laughs> it was a whole thing, my ding. So that was 2008. Fun time. Or 2009, sorry. LeakyCon is also held during those times and then Wizarding World of Harry Potter opens in 2010 which I think exploded the phenomenon even more I mean there's no escaping it now the seal of approval to this fandom I think people kind of felt like they had the liberty to come out and say I love Harry Potter like it's no longer a creepy thing yeah, it's like you everywhere. Know, like, like, topic, you can buy all your house stuff. It's just like everywhere. It's kind of exactly, cool. yeah. Right. Like it was, it was a thing. Like it was really cool. A very part of musical, a very part of sequel. I think came out around that time. I think that was twenty two thousand two. What was it? The Harry Potter oh. Puppet Pals came around. That? Puppet Pals at around that time too. Yeah, yeah. it was a whole thing. Another <laughs> cultural reset, like tumblr fandoms are kind of starting to like rise up at that time as well like i had a live journal until 2011 i think and then i was just like it's time to go to tumblr (laughs) (laughs) i'm just gonna post pictures of edits that i didn't make it's fine (laughs) oh tumblr yeah it was wild and it was just kind of like social media is growing People have access to these things. The audiobooks are coming out. It was just a lot of technology made everything possible in a way that in 1997 or in 2000, when it was just like six 20-something-year-olds writing weird fan fiction about people in a Yahoo groups, like very different world than what was happening. And it was just like so cool to be able to witness that and grow with it in a sense. Mm -hmm. But And I would say, I think the drama come down. Like, the big drama that we saw happening with the inner circle situation, the misscribe situation, crazy, laptop gate, like, those were, like, big things I could think of that happened in that time. And then it was mostly just chill. There was some stuff going on with the Wizard Rock group, 
like I didn't I wasn't really much into the scene like I listened to some of the songs but there were rumors going around that it's not funny but there were rumors going around <laughs> that like the lead singers or the guys in the in the in the wizard rock group were like sleeping around with fans <laughs> rock and roll <laughs> Some of it was creepy because I think there were rumors that the girls were underage. Oh, no. Like 17, like kind yeah. of thing, but still creepy. I never, I was never into it that bad, but like I read a Reddit post a few days ago and they were just like, they were slinging dick like it was crazy. <laughs> oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> All right. Harry and the Potters and like Draco and the Malfoys getting down. That's <laughs> the thing. Like whatever. It was the whole thing. And then we have, obviously, the movies come out. The last movie comes out. I think it's 2012, 2013 when part two comes out. I was definitely still in college at the time. And I, I tailgated that movie. Like, me and my friends, we went early. There were people dressed up as characters. Mm-hmm. There was someone dressed up as Lucius, but, like, from a very Potter sequel, Lucius. He came down the aisle dancing. That's it amazing. was a whole thing. Like, it was... So awesome. And I think it's like in my lifetime, I had never seen anything like it. You know, like I know like Star Wars or Star Trek fans kind of have a similar feel of fandom, but I was too young when that was happening. So I never saw it. I never witnessed it. It was like, wow, you felt like you belonged to a community, no matter how different you were, no matter where you came from, you had this something at the center that held all of you together. Like it really felt magnificent and beautiful. And that's how I felt like about the fandom for the most part in recent years. And then <laughs> in 2020, <laughs> womp, womp. JK Rowling opened her big fat mouth <laughs> yeah. and outed herself as a transphobe. Jesus. And not only that, like she doubled down. Doubled down. And like we saw Daniel Radcliffe come out and tell her pretty much shut the fuck up, you know, yeah. a lot of people. And it's. <sighs> I don't know, for me, like, I have such an emotional attachment to the series. It was really rough to see it happen because if you had asked me, you know, like, before last year, who's one celebrity you'd want to have dinner with, yeah. I would have said her hands down, you know? So, yeah, I think we can recognize her books are not diverse at all. There's obvious problems with them. And I think now that literature is more accessible, education is more accessible, people are finding flaws in her novels. So it's mm-hmm. they're not uphold as this, like, perfect series anymore which is fine right like literature has to be examined critically i think for it to be really appreciated but it wasn't until she outed herself as a transphobe that i was like fuck okay this thing that i love so much is crumbling down i didn't quite realize how it had affected the fandom so much until i joined tiktok because the community that's on there is very similar to early tumblr days and also even like early Harry Potter for grown-up days from what I'm told because you're on one platform there's a few like it's easy to connect with people like once you find videos of others and like all this stuff and it feels very tight-knit it feels very small even if it's not and I think what quarantine has done has created the same environment that was there during the three-year summer in a sense because we're not really getting any more new content right because Cursed Child People barely consider that canon. I definitely don't. Yeah. Whatever. The Fantastic Beast movies, people don't really consider that canon either. So we're getting new stuff, but it's not really part of the core canon. And so being stuck in quarantine, 
without access to new canonical information, being able to focus on what's happening in the world, being able to focus on the books as, as what they are and re-examine them, and then have the creator have very bigoted views and refuse to acknowledge that fact. And then mm-hmm. being supported by a lot of the, the actors, like the guy that plays Hagrid was like, I don't see what the big deal is. Yeah. The Phelps twins who play Fred and George refused to like say that what she said was bad. Tom Felton, who plays Draco, has refused to say that what she said was wrong. It was just so disheartening, but I think it created an environment where people in the fandom, young kids in the fandom, have so much creativity and so many opinions about the series that they love so much that they can now share it with the world. And they're way more <laughs> into the social justice aspect of things than I ever was at their age, which is so wonderful because I find myself learning from them every day. And it's like, this wealth of knowledge is being spread around, but there are still people in the fandom who refuse to say that what she has said was wrong, who openly support these actors who refuse to say that what she has said was wrong. So what you're saying is we haven't had a scandal of this, of this magnitude in a sense, almost since 2006, you know, like since the plagiarism thing was big or since like laptop gate, I couldn't, I can't think of a big scandal in the fandom since those times. So it's been a long time, but you're seeing the same patterns of behavior. Like people were fighting about slash fan fiction back in the day. Now people are fighting about, you know, like obviously the goblins are an example for Jewish people and it's super anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. Lycanthropy, lycanthropy, lycanthropy is obviously an allegory for AIDS, which is not done, carried out properly. And it's just lack of diversity in the series the lack of diversity and understanding shown from J.K. Rowling, it's kind of a perfect storm that's creating this environment of, it's tough because people love the book so much and it has affected their lives so much, but now they have to reconcile that fact with the idea that these books are not infallible, that people are going to let them down and that the author herself doesn't stand for things that you thought they stood for. Like I used to walk around thinking, I would not, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't judge people based on whether they liked Harry Potter or not, but in my head, I was like, if someone likes Harry Potter, to me, that translates to they're a good person. They mm-hmm. understand acceptance and belonging, and they love others above all else. And I yeah. don't know if I can say that anymore, you know, and that really hurts as a fan that was a fan for so long. So, yeah, I think it's interesting what it has turned into. I, I call it the TikTok Harry Potter renaissance of sorts. Because yeah. we're seeing so much content being created, so many conversations, so many interesting topics being brought up. And these are children, most of them, that are that are talking about these things with very young adults. And there's a few, of course, as usual, there's a few big creators, or if you want to call them, like we used to, the big name fans that are kind of sticking with the status quo. And like, there was, I forgot his name, but like this one guy was like very open about the thing now is I think if you don't support Jacob Rowling, you're not buying merch, right? Like you're not going to support her financially because you know that what she stands for is wrong. And like this big creator who has a lot of, I would say young kids, young teens, the children as his audience, he was like, she's already rich. It doesn't matter what you do. And I don't think these kids are realizing that by saying that what they're really saying is, a teacup is more important than how our trans brothers and sisters or our trans fans who are here alongside us feel yeah. whenever they see that woman speak. Yeah. And it's hard because to me, like when I think of Harry Potter, immediately I'm like, this is a place where we can all belong. 
Yeah. And I think that that's what the books stand for at its core, you know? I think J.K. Rowling intended that. I don't think she quite got it on the inside. I don't know what happened to her or whatever. <laughs> but, but, like... I just, I don't get it. I don't know what happened because, you know, especially the trans community, LGBT community, like, a lot, even before all this happened, I just saw so much love being, like, if you mm-hmm. support this, you know, it shows that you love me, too, and I belong. It's about acceptance and, you know, being who you are, finding out who you are. And I just saw, especially working with kids for so long, I worked with 12 through 18. It's like all of them felt such a connection. And then to know that with opening her mouth, like in one one breath, she crushed so many people. And it's really hard to grasp with that because she did create this wonderful world that we all, and I think a lot of us in Projected like our own thoughts, what that world mm-hmm. would be like and what it looked like. And like you said, it is, you know, has issues and has things, but like in our heads, it was perfect. We see everything the way the accepting and the love and, you know, the bravery and everybody take care of each other. And so it's a lot yeah. to, it's a the, lot to really come to terms with. It's- the cool thing, though, I think is that as much as it sucks that J.K. Rowling is a turf, that's what she is. Yes. I think at this point, the fandom is so big and so widespread and so large that it, to me at least, it has very little to do with her. Yeah. You know, like, when I think of Harry Potter, I don't think of Joanne Kathleen Rowling. Mm-hmm. I don't. Like, the first thing I think of is, like, fan fiction authors that I love yeah. or, like, really cool experiences I have with my friends or even, like, this really growing TikTok community that I'm so lucky and really weird to be a part of. But, like, it's just, I think it has grown beyond her years. So if she thinks that we're sitting at home crying and sipping about the fact that she doesn't approve of me or who we are, that's mm-hmm. very much not the case. Like, I think people know and recognize that we can separate the art from the artist. Yes. It's okay to critique what she has given us and take what we can from it. But she's no longer part of it. Like, I don't, she's not accepted by the majority of her fandom anymore. Yeah. And the people who still uphold her, I don't want to be a part of of that because how can you say you're a Harry Potter fan when the main character, like his main struggle was a feeling of belonging. Like he didn't know where he fit. You know, it's kind of like, how can you love a series where that's that's the intent to begin with Mm -hmm. and exclude trans people and exclude people of color? It seems like she's forgotten herself you know what it all stood for you know maybe it's the money or hanging out with all the conservative people yeah who knows where it went wrong it's and I really was shocked because I think maybe she put wool over my eyes you know and I didn't see it and like I knew the books weren't diverse and I knew they were very problematic like things going on in there but in my head I didn't equate it to she's a bad person and mm-hmm. now when I think of her, I'm just like, oh, no, she's a bad person. Because it's not like she said one thing and then said, I'm going to take it offline and learn yeah. from it. She so, doubled down time and time again. Yeah, like, let me make merch. Who does that? Yeah, it's upsetting, too, because she has done a lot for women. Like, she's donated to a lot of charities. And I, it doesn't matter to me anymore, you know? Yeah. Like, because it's kind of like all I'm seeing is someone that is obviously not an intersectional feminist. Yeah, clearly not. And who is smart enough to know better, but chooses not to. And it's kind of like most of your villains fall under who you are as a person now. How can you fight with that? And I just don't like her being like, I'm a champion of women. Well, not all women, trans women are women. And you just can't 
be like, sorry, you're not invited to the table. That's not how this works. And especially yeah. if we all grow up with this idea of acceptance and what we learned and what we like, what we created to be the world of Harry Potter. And it's, I, I can't imagine she's shocked that we would all be like, no, we're going to fight for our trans brothers and sisters. Just no, you're not doing this. Some of the Harry Potter fandom, especially when I think of fan fiction, it's like so much of it was created by queer people. <laughs> and it's like, how can you, like, half of your yeah. world online wouldn't exist without queer people, wouldn't exist yeah. without women of color. And it's like, we've, and now that I'm thinking about it, she's tried to backtrack diversity into her novels for years now. Like, when she announced that Dumbledore was gay, like, yeah. after the fact. And at the time, we were all like, oh my God. Yeah. I see the signs now. And it's like, well, why couldn't you have been clear about that in the in the books then? You know, like, mm-hmm. why did you have to wait until after the fact? Yeah, oh, I remember being excited. And then I realized, like, this is an afterthought. Like, it just didn't, didn't yeah. genuine. And even when Chris Child was out and, like, you know, the casting with the Black Hermione came out, I was mm-hmm. like, wow, like, representation. Yeah. But then it's like you read the books and it's very clear Hermione is described as a white woman, which is nothing wrong with that. But it's yeah. like don't try and fix your mistakes after the fact when you can count black characters on one hand. One yeah. of them you name you gave the last name Shacklebolt, which is the slavest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Whatever. And the Johnson, you describe her as having braids and another character calls them worms. And then the two men Dean Thomas and whatever don't have fathers in their lives. So it's like, I don't think she was consciously writing them in a racist way, but it was very clear to me that her experience as a white woman made it impossible for her to really truly understand her characters and the damage that she was making when she made those choices. Oh, absolutely. A lot of white women, I mean, all of us, we are so entrenched in it because it's all we know and you have to like actively be anti-racist and she probably a lot of people get defensive when they get called out and that's probably what that was her being like i'm not racist Mm -hmm. i didn't do these things and the more she gets called out the more defensive she gets instead of learning and realizing what she did yeah i've seen i mean also like the like cho her name is oh my god yeah yeah it's there's just a lot and it's like as i was reading it we were all so young though like i know i didn't pick up on it when i was younger and I didn't. I think I was so caught up in the world building of it, you know. And it was so magical. It it was the first time I truly felt fell in love with literature for me. And like when we moved to the states, it was the one thing that I was like, "This will get me through assimilation and all these other things." That I I overlooked everything else. And going back to the novels now as an adult, I'm like, "Ooh, this has not aged well." And to an extent, like, I appreciate being able to look at them critically because I do think that there's worth in breaking down, you know, the mistakes and looking at the things that she did well. But I'm not going to call her a genius because she's not. And I do think she destroyed her legacy completely. But on the one side, I'm like, I'm glad I see you for who you clearly are now. Because people show us every day. And I wasn't paying attention until she said it on Twitter, apparently, you know, so that really sucked. And I know a lot of kids are like there was a Jewish day of awareness. I forget what it was called exactly on TikTok a few weeks ago. And we let a lot of like Jewish creators pretty much like let their voices be heard in the Harry Potter community. A lot of them were younger kids, like 17, 18 year olds pointing out like, look at these Jewish stereotypes in the books. 
why are they okay? Why are we not pointing them out? And obviously the books, you know, are an allegory for World War II and the Nazi party, but it's like, why did she write her characters this way then if she was trying to point out the fault on behalf of the Nazis? Yeah. Little things like that. And I think obviously we all have our bias. So mm-hmm. she has her bias from when she grew up and Europe in general, but her editor didn't catch it or thought it was okay. You know, like no one's brought it up publicly and she doesn't really get, this is the first time I think in a long time that she's been getting hate that's stuck to her. Yeah. Like she was almost untouchable for years there. And that's and it true. Yeah. You know, like there was not a lot of criticism until recently. So, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Get really defensive. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts of conspiracy theories? Because I have some wild ones. Okay. okay. Her recent books are garbage. Hot take. I don't like any of her books. She didn't finish either of them. They're so terrible and they're so terribly written and they don't sound like her writing at all to me. It just, I don't know. So there's like a lot of conspiracies like that maybe she didn't write Harry Potter or <laughs> like, and I like sometimes I'm like, maybe she didn't. Like, how did she get this world when she can't even put together a small novel? Like, yeah, I, I don't. I tried reading the Casual Vacancy, and I gave up. I'm on page 28 to this day. I've had it for years, and I remember being so excited when it came out because it was like, oh my gosh, she hasn't published something in like six or seven years. Yeah. Huge deal. It's so bad, and I, really? I think people were just kind of like, well, it's not fantasy, so that's why. And I'm now, and I'm just like, maybe she's just not a good writer. You yeah. know, like. Maybe the world building was covering up for the fact that she's kind of an average writer. The other theory I heard is that she is actually Rita Skeeter. The world exists. <laughs> she escaped to the muggle world, decided to write the books, but it's just what she knew. And then tried to write new books. She can't write. So now she sucks. I think I like Rita Skeeter too yeah. much to do that to her. <laughs> and she's the worst. <laughs> I'm just like, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe she just stole it because it's real. So she didn't plagiarize. She just. I like that just because then Hogwarts would be real, you know? (laughs) Well, that makes more sense that the world exists. Although I'm still sad I didn't get my letter. Yeah. What the hell? You know, I feel like I'm not (laughs) normal completely. So I should. I know. Get some type of thing. Should have happened. I do think though, and I, I do love that. There is more awareness being brought to the faults of the novels because I think it helps humanize the situation, you know, and it helps show that, hey, we can't just say they're separate, but the books are perfect because then it ignores a lot of the things that a lot of minorities have brought up. And it's like, you can still love Harry. Obviously, I, my entire TikTok is about Harry Potter. Like, I love Harry Potter, you know, with a passion. It's, it's part of who I am as an individual. I wouldn't be who I am now without it. However, despite that, it's important, like literature has power, no matter what. And therefore, what you practice in private, you're going to perform in public. And if you practice ignoring things that you see in literature, that's what you're going to do in real life. Yes. Calling it out doesn't diminish what it means to you. It just mm-hmm. makes you a better person for being aware of the mistakes. And yeah. The and I think we're all still fighting with the generations of just be quiet, ignore things, don't speak yes. out, don't, don't cause a scene, don't ruffle feathers and we're trying to unlearn a lot of things and i think that's what's really exciting because you're seeing like gen z like you're saying these kids on tiktok like they are not staying silent on anything Mm -hmm. they're teaching us like i mean i see people being like 
you guys speak up about literally everything and some things don't even dawn on me. And I'm like, you're right, kid. You're right. <laughs> I'm yeah. start a revolution. But That's kind of awesome. Yeah. And I, I do also see that a lot of people are asking questions when they don't know instead of just assuming they know. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of people being more understanding about, okay, I did something wrong. Help me understand what I did wrong, but help me not do it again. And there's just so much conversation about everything. And it's, it's really exciting to see, you know, like, and I've been saying it this year has been awful, but you know, things happen in history. And then there's just, there's moments where you can see real change mm-hmm. and it's like the black lives matter and everything. It's like these marches, they just felt different this year. Yeah. It's like we've been fighting the same fight for so long. And it's like this, felt different it felt like a shift and a lot of it has to do with the younger generation and everybody being like we're done this is we're right. not doing this anymore we're not going back we're not gonna forget sometimes like fictional world and literature and art get overlooked because they're quote-unquote not real right they're not gonna affect real life but i never believed that to be true like i've never been affected so much as i have by reading books and Mm-hmm. looking at art so even like television now you know like damn i haven't stopped thinking about hannibal lecter for like months <laughs> <That's the problem. laughs> but it's like how cool is it that we can look at a fantasy series and see the world reflected back at us at us and we mm-hmm. can point out its flaws and elevate the positive things and then transform that into how we act with real people in real life yeah it's amazing mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm very emotional about Harry Potter in general. <laughs> Comments right now are based talking about how it got them through dark times and it, it got a lot of us through some really tough stuff. And, you know, it's going to always be a part of us. Yeah. What always. is your TikTok handle so everybody can find you? Oh, it's um, at Zoe that Gabriella, uh, Z O E Y, and then Gabriella, like Gabriella Montez from High School Musical. It's not <laughs> from that, it's just my middle name. <laughs> <laughs> But that's like an easy way for people to figure it out. Yeah, I'm there. You'll see me ranting about stuff. Yeah, and if anybody does write fan fiction, let us know. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm always open to reading new stuff. Yeah, that's exciting. Unless it's involved like Snape and anybody. I don't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're incest. Let's, let's, let's yeah, that's, that's that. my hard limit. And I, <laughs> the incest and like weird age stuff. Yeah, I can't do it. I'm sorry. If you're into that, that's fine. But I don't want it on my computer screen. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You have limits. <laughs> no, which is not, they're not that crazy, I would say. You know, I never thought incest would be a limit I would have to say, but <laughs> that's where we're at. That'd be the hard, hot, hot take. No yeah. This was so good. I'm just so excited that you're here. I love your TikTok. And <sighs> Thank it's you so just, much for hitting me up. It was yeah, the highlight of my life. I'm not so joking. glad that you weren't like, go away, you weirdo. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you so much for joining me. I Thanks know it's for having me. Sorry if I rambled a whole bunch. No, <laughs> I do that too much. Like, it's usually me. I talk too much. <laughs> thank Done. you so much for having me and for choosing me to your podcast because I've been listening to like all the episodes. So oh, uh, yay. I'm obsessed now. <laughs> thank you if you ever want to come back let me know and uh say less i'll figure something out <laughs> <laughs> yeah i definitely like to have you back it's so awesome. much fun thank you so thank much you.
You're welcome. It's been lovely meeting you. I feel like we're best friends already. Uh, absolutely, we are. See you on the talk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank Zoe again for joining me. I had such a great time, and I am so glad that I creepily commented on your TikTok and asked you to come on the podcast. I learned so much about fandom history. I was not a part of that at that age. So it was really interesting. And I had no idea about the Cassandra Clare connection, which blows my mind because, you know, teen librarian and I've heard so much about her, but that never came up. Shockingly. (laughs) If you guys want to watch these live and comment along, join Patreon. That's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And recently we started a new perk on Patreon. We're doing a game night. So we are on Discord and we're voice chatting, but then we're playing games. So last night we actually played Among Us and listen, every single one of them murdered me at some point, including my husband. You guys. It was a lot. <laughs> so again, that's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And if you join within the next week or so, we're going to be drawing it by next episode. We're drawing for the self-care package that has the adult coloring book, the journal about how to let that shit go, and a booze glass. So if you join, your name goes in a drawing to win this. And I got a shout out this week to Claire, who is our newest Majestic AF patron. I am so excited. We met on Twitter. I was talking about history. She liked history. And the rest is history. (laughs) And she volunteered to help me remember what I talked about in the early episodes because I forgot for the website. So she's kind of become like an official, unofficial intern of sorts. So that's super exciting. And I appreciate your help more than you'll ever know, Claire. Thank you so much for joining the Patreon fam. And she's also spruced up Discord for me because I feel like a thousand years old, but I didn't understand how cool Discord was until she made it super cool. (laughs) So again, if you join Patreon, you get to be part of our secret Discord channel and chat and book chats and voice chats and all that good stuff. If you want to send us a story for the next extra AF, that's historicalafpod at gmail.com. And if you would like to get some merch, that is shop.spreadshirt.com slash historicalafpod. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Next week will be books part three with Deep Into History podcast. Okay, bye.